0: Hello and welcome to the Hardy Boys Unofficial Fan Podcast. My guest today is Larry Michael Garman Swain, who has published under the monikers Larry Mike Garman and LMG Swain. He is an author who has worked on numerous YA series, including the Hardy Boy's Case Files, the Universal Studios Monster series, and the Roller Coaster Tycoon series. He's also published other novels as well. Mr. Swain, thank you for coming on today. Can you start off by talking a little bit about how you got into writing?
1: Um, I've always uh, told stories, uh, even as a kid. When I was in fifth grade, I had a teacher by the name of Mr. Potteroff at Nob Noster Elementary School in Nob Noster, Missouri. And he was an avid reader. He read to us every Friday for one hour. He'd sit in a rocking chair. And one series of books that he would read were The Hardy Boys. I've been reading them anyway, but the way he read them was exciting. He loaned me his Hardy Boys collections from the 1930s and 40s. My favorite from that time was The Sinister Signpost. And so I read them enthusiastically. And, and I'd always been a Poe fan, even in fifth grade, and a Hawthorne fan. And all my stories sounded like Poe, Hawthorne, and Hardy Boys combined. And he asked to read my stories. No other teacher had ever done that before. and It was very encouraging. So that's how that got started. I always told stories, but he was the first adult in my life who was interested in what I was reading. And it just took off from there, as far as being a writer. I thought, I, I can do this.
0: And then how did you get involved with... Uh... Case Files series.
1: I had a friend, mentor, writer uh, named Mike McQuay. He's no longer alive, but he was a friend of mine who was also a uh, writing instructor at what used to be Central State University in Edmond, Oklahoma. And I was taking graduate classes with him. And he is the one who novelized Escape from New York and My Science Project, as well as had 30 other books of his own published. He was just a fantastic man. I wasn't getting published. I couldn't sell Jack. And he said, have you thought about ghostwriting? And he had explained that to me. And he had actually done before the case file, some Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew ghostwriting. And he said, gave me some of his stories. And he said, "Why why don't you do this? Just to get your foot in the door and have publishing experience. I said, cool. And that is just when the case files were coming out. So I got um, uh, the first one, uh, gosh, I can't remember the name right offhand, the very first one. And I read it. And I said, well, this is different from you know, what I had read as a kid. It's kind of exciting. You know, they're a little more grown up. So I, I read the first three that came out and I studied them as if I was studying classical literature. I mean, I was writing in the margins, making notes on everything. And I found out who was actually putting the packages together. And that was Books in New York City. So I sent in a Pracy and uh, didn't hear Jack for a long time. And so I sent in another one, didn't hear anything. And I got frustrated and I called them and I didn't realize you don't call publishers. <laughs> but and the guy on the end phone, he stammered and and was making up some excuses or something. And he goes, well, we like it, but we can't use your ideas and. One of my ideas was they were busting drug runners. Well, they, they still weren't doing that, that at the time. He goes, here's an idea for you. You send me in the pracy, and we'll see what we can do. So he gave me an idea and I said, okay. And I sent it in two days later. And they were shocked to get it two days later. And that's how that got started. And that was the uh, uh, first one that I wrote. Nowhere uh, to run, I think. Is Nowhere to one. run, yeah. The uh, the editor at the time who had written the first four or five he, he liked my idea and he said, OK, we want you to write the outline. I wrote the outline. He said, go with it. And that's how all that got
0: started. Did they send you anything else in addition to the, the pressure? Uh, they, or- sent me
1: a, they sent me a Bible and I didn't have that before when I wrote the original, my, my original ideas. This is why they were, you know, trying to bust drug runners and arms dealers and everything at the time. They still hadn't reached that point yet. Uh, in the Hardy Boys series. So they sent me a Bible and they, you know, all the things I could and could not do. And that helped, of course. And um, uh, so I wrote the first book and began sending in more ideas. And um, they began to buy all the ideas from that point on. I was very happy and even flew out there to meet them just for the heck race. I hadn't been in New York City for quite a while. And that's when they, when Mike told me, that was the name of the, I can't remember his last name and Bonnie Bader who was at Mega Books at the time she took over the Hardy Boys series. She said, "Yeah, we were stunned you called. Nobody calls publishers and asks, is my, you know, why, why do not you buy my stories?'" And I said, "Well, I didn't know what the heck, you know." So, there we are.
0: Did you understand the restrictions on the series or did you ever still bump up into things that they wouldn't let you put in there?
1: Well, I understood how far I could push the envelope, which is what I did. And I wanted to do some background Like it was never explained why Joe was into mechanics. I never read a Hardy Boys or explained why Frank was more into technology. So, what I began to do was to push that in there, uh, which is a part of uh, Nowhere to Run and then the one about the um, chop shops, uh, putting that in there. In um, flesh and blood, I go into uh, Frank's interest in technology. Now, at that time, it wasn't what it is today, of course, and enhancing a child's photograph to age it was just coming out. And so Frankie uses it to age, age this photo they have of this this uh, kid, and it ages to look like Chet. So Chet is the villain who kidnapped their father um, and is uh, going to do terrible things to him. Of course, that's the uh, red herring in there. And so I tried to explain why these two brothers, as, as close as they were, were also divergent in their interest. So I would try to put as much as I could into the series uh, as well. And Bonnie liked that. She did.
0: Sort of expanding the universe that they Ex- existed.
1: Yeah, I, I like the universe, but I just thought it needed, uh, as you said, it needed some expanding. So that's what I did. And um, I added some elements to it that uh hopefully people enjoy and they got a little bit more personal background uh on on the boys besides their father was a detective and they lived with their aunt and their their mother who's rarely seen in any of the stories you know Uh, so uh that was one of my goals how far could i push this universe and it still be accepted by you know my editors and publishers and the fans as well
0: right so i mean of the of the six books that you wrote or partially wrote five of them take place quite a bit in in bayport which um, other authors have mentioned that mega books or simon and schuster i don't know who was behind the push really pushed to um try to have the boys go to exotic locations and things like that and i've always enjoyed learning more about bayport and did they ever tell you we'd like you we'd like you to do more exotic locations or were they happy with with what you were doing
1: they were happy they know with bayport i gave them a uh, minor league baseball team uh they had a tornado there uh, when I set the idea in that Bayport had a tornado, Bonnie uh, called me and said, we don't have tornadoes in New York. Well, that week, New York City had a tornado. And so she said, OK, we're going to go with a the tornado then in uh, Bay- <laughs> Bayport. And I said, they happen everywhere, Bonnie. Even though I'm from Oklahoma where they happen like every other day. Tornadoes can happen everywhere, I- anywhere. And so uh, they bought that story. So I try to add. Something other than, oh, it's just Bayport where the Hardy Boys live. I wanted another element to it that made it into a real place. Uh, then I decided to get out of Bayport and go to Oxford, England, of all places. You know, But I, I really wanted to stay out of New York City as much as I could, because uh, some of the stories would go out there or into the country. And I put one of my stories that's also uh, it's a, the part of the super mysteries, I put in my home state of Oklahoma. I needed to get them out of New York. So I, I brought the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew to Oklahoma to my hometown. So that was a lot of fun to do as well. But they never said, get them out of Bayport.
0: What's sort of the synopsis of that one?
1: Uh, Fenton has a, an old friend that lives in Oklahoma who's uh, an archaeologist. And they've come across a burial mound uh, that is kind of mysterious. And Nancy Drew gets involved in it. Oh, she's already out there. And the Hardy Boys go out there. And that's where they all meet up actually takes place at uh, Quartz Mountain State Park, which is a big park I, uh, I would visit as a kid. I had to change the name of the Air Force Base to Jackson Air Force Base instead of Altus Air Force Base. And uh, that's one thing they would tell me to do. They knew I, you know, the only way you, uh, my friends would know I was writing these stories, I'd use their names. You know, <laughs> or I'd use something they knew about. But they always made me change their first names or their last names. So in buried in time, they have to solve this. They 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 find this skeleton that shouldn't be there in this burial mound. Uh, so Frank and Joe go out there because their uh, father's friend has asked for help in trying to figure out what the heck is gone on here. So that's how they get out there, and that's where they meet Nancy and George.
0: Did the Super Mysteries have their own Bible? Were there different restrictions for the Super Mystery series?
1: I never read the Bible for that. Um, and when I came up with the idea, because I wanted to set something in my you know, home state, in my home county, um, I just gave them the idea and they said, okay, we'll go with that. Uh, so I never read any, I, I did go back and read some of the Nancy Drew, newer Nancy Drew mysteries, and I enjoyed them. And so that's the only thing I read to prepare for that. But they never sent me a Bible. They never sent me uh, any sort of instructions, what I could or could, could not do. By that time though, I, I was pretty much into that universe of Hardy Boy, Nancy Drew, and knew what my limits were, you know, what I could and could not do.
0: These had pretty, pretty oh, strict yeah. length requirements. <laughs>
1: yeah, My first one was almost 275 pages, and Bonnie sent it back and said, you need to cut out 100 pages. I said, holy cow. I thought that's what editors do. And she goes, no, editors don't do that. Writers do that. So I had to cut out 100 pages. In fact, what I did is I, I took out two characters and like five chapters and just smashed it all together. And it did become a better book. It was tighter. Uh, but that was the hardest uh, aspect for me was trying to get the story to 150, 100, you know, to 190 pages, which is what, what the publisher wanted. They wanted quick, fast read for, you know, young teens. These weren't written for uh, young adults or new adults uh, who could spend more time uh, reading background, reading description, all that. They just wanted action, 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 action. Let's just get it out there. And that actually worked well for me because it helped me uh, to uh, understand how to solidify Uh, the action part of a story so it doesn't keep going on and on and on like a uh, Dickinson novel or something. So So that actually helped. (laughs) But it was hard.
0: Looking at the numbers of the books you published, I mean, 27 to 46 is a pretty, and then number 126. Did you take a break and then come back to the series?
1: You know, I did. And there are other stories I wanted to write in other genres and venues. So I took off in that direction. The last one, Fire in the Sky, I got a call from Bonnie and we hadn't spoken in a couple of years or so. And um, I was working on other uh, projects. Uh, one uh, a fantasy series in England and uh, my own. And I was trying to develop up. Uh, I was working with the uh, creator of uh, rollercoaster Ty- tycoon who put out a series of books as well. But Bonnie called me and said, look, uh, we have a, an idea from a guy, but he doesn't outline and. Uh, we want you to outline the book. And I said, okay. He said, they sent me the Precy. I outlined the entire book, uh, sent it back. And then she, a few weeks later, she said, we don't think he's going to be able to finish this book. Would you finish the book for him? And I said, sure. And that's how it got started. And I don't know who he was. That's why it says unknown on some websites. It says Larry Mike Garmin and, and unknown. I don't know who this guy was or anything. Uh, but that's how that got done. In, in, I was actually in the process of um, Universal Studios about the uh, monster series that I put out in the early 2000s. So I was involved in that, but Bonnie had called me. She'd always been a good friend. And uh, so I said, sure, I'll do this for you. And she did. Uh, She, I mean, I did. She sent it to me and I I got it done for her. So that's how that happened.
0: Getting into some of the specific books. First one, Nowhere to Run, revolves around um, a friend of the Hardys who's a biker. Uh, Do you have a background in biking?
1: You know, I do. (laughs) And uh, um, I, I, again, that's one thing that I didn't find in the uh, previous books. Um, I wanted to get as edgy as I could uh, without, um, you know, getting Bonnie mad at me or, or uh, Simon and Schuster angry. And so I got as, you know, as close as I could get. So I I do and I still ride. I try to incorporate as much of my personal life in it, as I said, uh, in my experience Um, that way people know, Hey, you know, Mike did write that and who else would know about this? So, um, that's why that's in there.
0: There's some lines in the book that I thought were were kind of funny where Joe, I don't know if Joe would be allowed to say these kinds of things today where he tells Callie that he knew she was good for something because she made them a meal. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're pretty sexist for the time, but that's just the way it was. And, and, um, I would send in stuff sometimes and put in little snippets just to see if Bonnie was actually, re- and she was, and she said, I got to cut this out. you can't put this in there. Uh, and I would say, you know, things or have Callie or Frank or Joe or Joe, uh, you know, news girlfriend saying something. And she goes, we can't put that in there. You know, we can't put that in there. I said, no, I'm just getting bored with this straight talking. Now you know, these are not real teenagers that I deal with. I've taught school for 38 years. And I said, this is, you know, in, in one scene in, in the uh, buried in time, I have <laughs> Frank and um, Nancy walking out of the cabin, and Frank has this big smile on his face. Well, they cut that out real quick, you know. <laughs> so, and because the, they understood, you know, that's all I said is Frank and Nancy uh, walked out of the cabin the next morning, and Frank had this big old smile on his face, and that was it. And they cut that out a big time. So I, I did try to do it, but I also tried to stay within the norms or that world, which was pretty, uh, uh, patronymic. And, you know, so yeah. And, and Joe gets pretty smart ugly at times about that. You know, he doesn't mean that seriously, but then again, that, that was the time.
0: Running on empty also deals with autos, although it's cars, uh, like a chop shop. Mm-hmm. D- do you have a background as a mechanic as well? Or did you have to do research for some of these books?
1: You no, know, my dad, uh, was one of these, uh, guys who worked on his own car and, um, I'd be out there watching him and he would help me, you know, he would explain what he was doing. He help me. He would allow me to do some things with him. So as I got older as a, uh, into my teenage years, I worked on my own cars and I even uh, collected some uh, older model Buicks and rebuilt them uh, and all that. So there's a lot of that in there, as much as I could put in there without being too technical about the chop shops and what it takes to rebuild cars and all that. So that, again, is a part of my background as well. And in all my work, I try to put something in there that I can relate to because I, I write better when I do that. Uh, now, uh, some of the stories I write involve killing. I've never done that. But anyway, but the, the motorcycles, the cars uh, and all that is uh, something I grew up with and something I still do. So it's personal. And I like that. Uh, and When people ask me about it, I go, yeah, that's exactly what I, I would have done at that time, too
0: in strategic moves you move to the action to oxford i mean are you you familiar with england and oxford i
1: uh spent some time in england um i was at portsmouth and then i went to stratford i'm a huge shakespearean fan as well and uh, i regretted not going to stone uh, stonehenge at the time i didn't have the time while i was there to go visit stonehenge but I'm, I'm an Anglophile in that sense, even though I'm of Scottish descent, <laughs> like England, and the history uh, of that area especially. So I used what little I knew at the time, as well as you know, doing some basic research, especially around Stonehenge, what we knew about Stonehenge at that time, uh, and to put that in there. Plus, at the time, I came up with the idea of that story, is when Perestroika was coming out. It's the beginning of the end of the communist regime and I thought let's make this as topical as possible and I'll put a young chess champion Russian chess champion in there and you got the KGB and the CIA working together of all things, you know, to foil you got this guy called the gray man who is you know, mysterious. So I used what was going on at the time in the world, especially in communist Russia and put it in England Uh, because I thought that was a good place to put it, because I love England. Um, And I've spent time in Russia as well. I was there just a few years after the fall of the the Soviet Union. You know, I try to use as much as my own experience, as well as what's going on topically, uh, you know, in the world today. So that's that's why Strategic Moves ends up where it is.
0: Another thing I thought was sort of interesting about the book was it has one of the few references to a real-life person in it, and that Mm -hmm. is Prince Charles, who right. 30 years later is still Prince Charles. <laughs> although.
1: Yeah, well, I, I briefly met Prince Charles many years before that. I was in Puerto Rico, and the USS Hermes pulled in. That was the ship he was stationed on. And I got to go aboard and visit some of the sailors. And uh, we were up on the, on the Hilo flight deck. And although I was not allowed to approach him, he came out. And he was talking to some of the other sailors and, and he just walked by and nodded his head. And I go, wow, that's Prince Charles, you know. So I decided to throw him in that book. <laughs> so that's how he, he ended up there.
0: Any inside stories about any of the details in the books?
1: I made my ex-father-in-law a criminal in one of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's one time where Laura is uh, or he is gone and Joe and uh, Frank are having to rely on their father cooking and all he cooks them is frozen fish sticks and french fries and they're not always cooked all the way through that's my dad because my mom would be working and, so uh, and he cooked these frozen fish sticks and french fries and they'd be half cold and uh, so we were so glad when she started you know she could stay home to cook. And there's little things like that. Uh, they are personal things or, for example, nowhere to run. The name of the biker is actually named at Biker Bob is named after a student that I had at the time. And that's why we called him Biker Bob. And so throughout the series, I would put in little things like that, not only to let people know, yes, I am writing. these. I'm not just making it up, uh, you know, um, but uh, because the name of the character like Biker Bob he's got the personality of the student I had, we called Biker Bob at that time. And that's what I'll do is I'll take somebody the, that I know and I'll develop, uh, develop their character, but there's still uh, a bit of essence of the real person in there as well. Sometimes I change the name completely, but I did on that one, except uh, the last name is not, Conway is not his real, real last name because Bonnie said I couldn't do that. Um, so there are all those little snippets in there. Uh, things from my personal life or people that I know, or, you know, uh, people that, you know, the only way to get revenge <laughs> is to put them in a story and make them a criminal. So that's what
0: I do <laughs> sometimes. In the books, Joe is more of the action person mm-hmm. and Frank's more of the brains. How do you avoid having Frank be the one that's actually solving everything? And Joe is just sort of along for the ride.
1: You know, that's what I did with, um, um, I try to do with running on empty and nowhere to run. Because they there there's more mechanics and everything, and it you got to be smart to be a mechanic. I mean, you do. My dad is uh is, was one of the smartest people I knew, and he was an ace mechanic. In fact, I would call my dad up and say, "There's something wrong with my car." He goes, "I hold the phone up to the engine," and I hold the phone up to the engine. He would know by listening to the engine what's wrong with it. And that's Joe. Uh, but Joe's going to be straightforward. He's going to say, "Hey, this is what we have to do." Uh, Frank is going to want to try to analyze every little thing and it doesn't always have to be that way so I try to balance that and um, um, again I don't remember specific details about the the books themselves but I hope that I, I balanced it where uh, Joe had he may be a person of action and he may be a mechanic uh, more mechanically but he's just as smart as Frank and uh, Frank can be just as down to earth as Joe so I, I Uh, that was my goal at the time. And uh, again, without, I haven't read these books in years. Uh, I don't know how well I accomplished that, but that that was one thing I was thinking about because as I read these, when I was a uh, fifth grader, well, I was reading before that, but um, as I read these throughout the years, I always thought, you know, Joe's a lot smarter than people getting credit for. He really is because he reminds me a lot of my dad and Frank. He needs to sometimes just follow Joe's lead. And so I, I, I believe I did. I, I believe I incorporated that as much as I could, where Frank just has to give them to Joe. And that's all there is to it.
0: How involved were you with coming up with the titles, taglines, and the covers?
1: I had nothing to do with the tagline or the covers, but they were all my titles. So I found that interesting because I was always told authors don't come up with their own titles. Uh, and so I'd always come up with a title because the title uh, would be thematic for me. Uh, to remind me what it is I'm doing in this particular story, and uh, so I was really happy when they they kept the uh, they kept the titles. Um, Foul play was interesting because I was uh, visiting my sister, and my nephew uh, was talking about baseball cards. I had no clue what he was talking about, and he started talking about Honus Wagner, Bait how much it was. I said, "You gotta be kidding me! There's a baseball card worth hundred thousand dollars," and and so that came up. So I named the the character in foul play, the last name is my my sister her her son's last name but not his first name because Bonnie wouldn't let me do that, and I I, I like the term foul play I didn't think they would keep it they call it something else but uh, so I was happy that they kept foul play because Billy that was the name of my nephew or is still the name of my nephew thought that'd be a cool title for a book foul play I said yeah so I'll call it and and you know I told him what I was doing and all that and he thought it was pretty cool but. He was disappointed that i couldn't name him directly after billy murphy had to name you know i can't remember the name of the character now but he had the last name so he was cool with that i haven't talked about this in in some time i teach writing classes i'm beginning my 39th year as a teacher and uh that was one reason why i stopped it it was so time consuming i couldn't do uh concentrate on the teaching i'm i'm now semi-retired as a teacher and so i can do a lot more and plus um all the other projects I began working on outside of the Hardy Boys, and I missed them. And that's I think, uh, and I kept in contact with Bonnie, and that's why she called me about Fire in the Sky. But I believe I came up with that title because there, uh, Mike McQuay had had a story called Fire in the Sky, and and he had already passed by that time, and I wanted to honor him uh, by naming that one after after him. But I enjoyed it. I started trying to read uh, the Undercover Brothers and some of the others. I just couldn't get into them. Maybe it's because I was a little bit older and I was working on other things. I'm sure they're uh, pretty good stories. And But the case files invigorated me to, I even went back and started reading the old Hardy Boys uh, from the 30s and 40s and 50s that I grew up with. I hadn't read in such a long time, including the Sinister sign, Signpost, which is still my favorite. So the case files, uh, were a it helped get my writing career started. Um, it helped to teach me to be an effective writer to work with editors to work with publishers. Um, and uh, it's it was a fantastic series. And um, I, I just got I just didn't think I had any more to offer. I, I, I realized now I did, but at the time I did not. So it, I like the case file series and I, I'm uh, impressed and I'm glad there are people you know, your age and others who are, they go back and they look at them and go, wow, that's, a, that's as good as the first Hardy Boy series that came out in the 30s. I told Mr. Potteroff, my fifth grade teacher, as, as he would loan me his books and I'd bring him back, I said, you know, I hope to meet Franklin W. Dixon someday. And he just kind of laughed. I didn't, you know, of course, had no then. Well, 30 years later, I'm looking in the mirror, I'm meeting Franklin W. Dixon. I go, holy cow, I'm Franklin W. Dixon. This is pretty cool. I'm a one of many, but I'm, I'm, I am Heath. And so that was uh, an, a, a, a proud moment. And I, I enjoyed that series so much. I read uh, all the others that came out that I didn't write, and I enjoyed the series as well.
0: Thank you for listening to the Hardy Boys Unofficial Fan Podcast. Please join me next time.